You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Almost any given day, you Google, if that's your preference for how you start your research process. If you Google the categories of books sold, and typically it's going to show you what's sold on Amazon, by the way, pretty good source. You know, the categories are, you know, self-help has always been uh, popular, necessary as well. Books that have a faith component are still hugely popular. Biographies, history, you know, you could go into the romance thrills, all that, that kind of thing. But the, one of the most popular categories is current events, which makes sense. Well, those of us that like to stay abreast of that, so we have some sense of comfortableness with regards to what's happening around us, whether we have influence over it or not, a lot of us like to do that. And I have a friend, I've known him a long time, our, our parents knew each, knew each other as well, and he's written two great books, and they're about current events from his perspective and from his pretty much lifelong uh, passion for journaling, making sure that he has uh, recorded information. And the book that we're going to talk about today by my friend David Bailey is America Going and Going. He has a follow-up, America Still Going. David Bailey, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you? I'm terrific, Mike. Uh, great to see you again. And I'll tell you, you're right. Uh, we go way, way back. Uh, you know, to Shanley years and and uh, later on in college and and throughout life, and um, and of course the the best thing that you ever did in your life was to um, marry Deb, and um, and we uh, we love her very much and and Jan sends her regards. But no, um, I'm pleased to be on the on the podcast and um, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it'll be interesting for those people who uh, who do watch it, and I think they'll they'll get something from it hopefully. And, uh, and that's kind of my mission today is to share some information about what I've learned in life and, and what I've learned from the greatest generation and kind of where I see things as being today. Mm. Uh, and thank you for the nice compliments, by the way. And Deb would absolutely agree with you that the best thing I ever did was marry her. And, and so I, I'm going to put that out there again. And Jan would probably say the same thing, possibly, with regards to my good friend, David. Hopefully she would. Um, that was yeah. her best decision and my best decision. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> what, David, America, going, going. It's 27 chapters uh, broken down by theme or category. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the, you know, the goal here is to inspire pe people to go get your book because you have very important information. Some some of it's maybe slanted politically one way or another, but, but we all have opinions. We all have things that we believe, and we all are a product of um, how we were brought up, how we were raised, and who influenced us. And 
no secret that we had fairly um, conservative, faith-filled parents that were our initial mentors and raised us. So here's my first question. Given your background as a very successful business attorney and CPA, and having uh, your own entrepreneurial interest over over many years, you and Jan, what was it about your journaling, if I'm saying that correctly, that inspired you to say, I I need to write this book? That's my first question. And the follow-up would be, why the timing of the first book in late 2019? I've always been a very visual person. And so it's important for me visually to write things down. Um, I kind of, I call it semi-photographic memory that, that uh, paid off for me very well when I was going to college, where I would actually be able during an exam, like in law school, I'd be able to remember words from a case that I had read and where I had, and then the notes I had taken on that, the notes that I had uh, written down while I was evaluating that case, and I'd be able to use that, you know, during my um, uh, during my exam. And so I'm very visual, and so it's important for me to write things down. I've, I've always done that, and the same is true, obviously, uh, with computer. Uh, you know, since the I've been using computers in my law practice for the last uh, about 35 years. Uh, and I actually had a computer science um, minor at the University of North Dakota during my uh, undergraduate studies there. Um, and so, but but the real the real impetus be, behind the book "America Going Going" was my father Charles Bailey. Uh, he was a great CPA. Uh, his uh, name is still on I Bailey Accounting Firm, obviously, um, and so. He was one of my primary mentors, and and he was also a mentor for, I'm going to say, hundreds of other people. He would uh, work with people in his profession, and he would have people who would um, be his clients and who would be employees with Charles Bailey and Company before I'd Bailey, and he would um, he would sit down with them periodically and he would kind of evaluate them from what his views were of them. And he would mentor them. There were several people, even to this day, he passed away 23 years ago, um, 28 years ago. And to this day, people come up to me and say, Dave, your father had an amazing impact on my life. I don't know if you know that. But he mentored these people, and they did many things that um, they didn't expect they were going to do. They thought they were going to be a public accountant for the rest of their lives. And he got them into entrepreneurism. He got them, you know, to become a CFO for their uh, company, and to um, to go out and and become entrepreneurs. And these people today say, you know, it, it changed my life dramatically. You know, from that time on, you know, I I became successful, and it was because of how he steered me through accounting, you know, into entrepreneurism. So during his lifetime, he never really had a chance to. Put together his philosophies of life, and we knew when he was terminally ill that um, that he wasn't going to have a chance to do that. And so it was at that time in 1995 that I said to myself, "You've got to do this. This is something you've got to do." It took me 20 years to kind of get going on because I was extremely busy 
with everything in life at those times, you know, my, my law practice, my, my businesses at one time, I had 12 businesses actively going. And, and so I didn't have, didn't have the time, but I would jot down things periodically and in my journals. And so that's really how this all came about was from what my parents instilled in me and what they mentored for me and what religious figures in my life did for me. People like Bishop Richard Emery, who was the Episcopal Bishop of North Dakota. And I say to people that I would look into his eyes and I could see the face of God. He had that kind of an impact on me. Like, this guy is just amazing. He had that twinkle in his eye that just kind of mesmerized me. And so it was these types of people uh, throughout my life, parents, friends, um, colleagues, uh, I tried to get it in. Uh, people, we talked about, you know, a personal development and growth. You know, I, I've got a picture right up here of, of Jim Rohn and Jan and Jim Rohn and I, you know, after a session, it was people like Jim Rohn that, that I thought, you know, this is, this is good information. Tony Robbins, you know, all of those people who are in personal growth and development. So that's what really led to America going, going. Mm. Oh, thank you, David. I, I, I'd like to, to scratch the surface of some of the chapters in terms of content and give folks kind of a sense of what's in the book. We won't reveal too much because we, ultimately we'd like them to buy a bunch of them. <laughs> in fact, you should buy more than one. You should buy a, a couple and share them. And I, I'm going to start with the the. I can't remember if it's the first chapter or not, but the selfie society. Selfie society, David. That was so profound because in it you talk about the state of the incivility we're, we're currently in. Um, and you attribute it to uh, a number of things. One is, especially if you're looking at journalists nowadays, the absolute void of this skill of being a good listener. There, there seems to be a, a lost art in the, in that area. But but the other thing that you mention, you use the word hatred, and gosh, David. I can't remember a time other than just the past few years where it's perfectly okay for a reporter or a journalist or someone in public policy pointing a finger at someone and they use the word hate. I hate that person. And I was raised, I'm sure like you, it's one thing to hate something that someone does. But to still love the person, you don't have to like them, but we're supposed to love everybody and hate what they do. But now it's, it seems to be okay to hate. And I, I like the way you open up that chapter because it's kind of like, and not just because of the selfie period of time we're in, but maybe we're not others focused or others centered enough and we're far too self-centered and I kind of get the sense that's where you were going with that chapter. Would that be correct? That's definitely true, Mike. And what I've seen, I think what a lot of us have seen is that we were raised to be selfless. You know, selflessness was a big deal. And my parents would tell me to say, son, this isn't about you. This is about us. This is about we. This is about 
you know, everyone together and working together. And that's how the world works. And back in those days, that's true. You know, look at how Congress was back then. And look how, you know, federal government, it didn't make any difference if the Democrats were in control or the Republicans were in control. They would work together. They would sit down in committees together and they would get things done for the betterment of everybody. But over the years, um, that was lost. And, and that's kind of what I was talking what I'm talking about in the selfie society um, and the loss of of me of we in favor of me uh, and how people are just individuals and it's being thrust on everybody everywhere you look and everywhere you listen it's all about you know you've got to you've got to love yourself well sure you have to love yourself I learned that you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else and that's fine but you don't become obsessed with it you use that as a part of what you do in life to be able to impact other people and to realize that that you're a team. We're teams, we're teammates with everyone out there, and we should be that way. But yeah, the, the lack of civility today is nothing close to what we've seen in our lifetimes. It's just, it's it's the craziness. And that's one of the things that leads into another one of my main focus focuses right now, and that is. I think the major problem in America today is mental health. I think that we are in a mental health crisis in this country, you know, caused by partly by COVID most recently and lockdowns. I think that was bad, but we were headed in that direction to start out with where, you know, people were thrust and where they were being told, you know, everything's about you. Everything's about what your feelings are. Well, that's part of it, but you have to be mindful of what other people are feeling. You have to listen, and you have to be open-minded about what other people, what other people are saying, what's important to them. And we're losing that, um, and that's totally opposite of the way we were uh, raised by the greatest generation. You know, and again, they call them the OK Boomers now. You know, we're the OK Boomers, and I take that as a compliment. You know, I, I was, I had the good fortune of being raised in a family where one of the main premises was everyone is equal in the eyes of God. Everyone is equal. It doesn't make any difference what color you are, you know, what faith you are, um, you know, generically. Uh, it doesn't make any difference what your thoughts are, you know, what you're doing. You know, sure, we, we do tend to judge some people. We're not supposed to, but we do judge a little bit. And, but everyone is equal. And, and that's the way I was raised was, you know, um, we had people of color, refugees primarily in our household, every, almost every uh, major holiday where they would come into our home and my mom would have gifts for them and would have a nice meal for them. And we'd talk about what used to be called becoming Americans through assimilation, wanting to become a part of the American dream. We're not seeing assimilation anymore. We're seeing people coming over here um, in many cases, not all cases, many cases, they want to become Americans. You know, they want a part of that, the greatest country in the world. But others are coming over here so that they can send a paycheck back home, you know, and, and they aren't interested in too much more. Um, and I'm going to, in this call and podcast, I'm going to get involved in, in another big thing, and that is education. We need to get back to educating everyone 
crime rate today, you know, they say crime's out of control. I think there should be a comparison of what the education level is attained by every person who is at least convicted of a felony, if not people arrested, you know, for, you know, crimes, you know, where did they get themselves education wise? And I think you would see a direct correlation between, you know, those who dropped out of school, those who went different directions, and they, they weren't positive directions. And so one thing that I talk about in my books is moving from K-12 to what I call P-14. And that's starting out at preschool. Everyone has a preschool education. Everyone. Everyone has a K-12 through education. In real time, whether you are um, homeless, then we have a place for you to go where you are required to get your education. Whether you're in a prison, whether you're, you know, confined. Um, we have education. You know, you can do amazing things online these days, and you can provide amazing education sources. Everyone has to get that K through 12. And then we have a two additional year period. Community colleges, colleges and universities, um, alternative service, you know, things like Peace Corps, military service, uh, trade, um, you know, going to trade education um, and uh, getting the training that you need to become a productive American. Um, we want people to be productive here. And we want everyone to have those same opportunities that we had. And we can only do that through making sure that everyone is getting mandatory education and service of some sort beyond that, you know, maybe on a paying, you know, uh, sliding fee scale, depending on ability to pay for those first two years. Um, many things, and apprenticeship programs, same thing. Apprenticeship programs will be in there as well. But I think those are the type of education programs that we need. And that's one of the main challenges that we have here. You know, people aren't getting civics education. They aren't getting the mathematics that they need. They aren't getting the science that they need. Um, we have an inferior education system to what you and I were blessed with in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. By the way, you just mentioned civics. Richard Dreyfus has written a book um, about his great concern for the future of our country, and he attributes a lot of it to the fact that you and I, our generation, we were the last students to have what was back then called a civics class. Mm -hmm. Now they call it political science, and it's completely different. Yeah. And his his case, and I have to agree with him, that if you don't understand and someone isn't showing you or teaching you why this country was developed the way it was, civically, you're, 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 you're kind of at the, you're drawing the short end of, of the straw because civics is so important. I want to go back to something you said, David, with regards to mental health. And, and folks, I want to remind you that David's book, uh, the one we're primarily talking about right now, America Going Going by David Bailey, uh, he addresses the major issues of the day, you know, from his experience and his perspective. And I happen to agree with virtually every one of the major issues. Um, and, and there are major issues for all of us. Back to the mental health. In one of your chapters, you talk about 
the the new addictions, the new epidemics, and opioids and cell phones, uh, video games, screen time today. And I'm always wondering, uh, how is this attached to mental health for certain individuals? The average kid today will spend seven point well, seven hours and 22 minutes <laughs> of screen time every day. Every that's almost a career. That that it is if, that that that's a, during the course of a year. That's a hundred and nine days where you're spending on some device, and it's typically now some smartphone, Samsung, Apple, whatever the case might be. David, I th- I think that that has a direct correlation to some of the detrimental health mental health challenges of our day that I, I can't believe that it doesn't contribute to it. And that's kind of what you were saying in that chapter as well. It, it creates isolation. That whole idea, sure, you're, you're interacting with a game or you're, you're interacting on, on social media, uh, you're, you're interacting by texting, but this is where it happens. This is where, Real life happens is in social interaction, you know, getting out of the house, being with people, speaking in in forums, and in in places where you can, um, you know, verbally uh, exchange ideas and 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 take it from there. And that's just not happening. Like that seven hours and twenty two minutes is is clearly creating uh, mental health problems. That isolation. That we're seeing by people. Look at the look at the suicide rates. Look at the rates of people who consider suicide. I don't want to misstate this, but there was one um, statistic about like high school uh, girls that a third of them had considered committing suicide. Uh, are you kidding me? What is that all about? You know that's so foreign. You know to the way we were raised to think about living. Um, part of it is that loss of religion, um, you know, and, and I'm not going to uh, preach from the pulpit today. I do that in other areas and in other forums. But, um, you know, they say that that whole idea of, of having spiritualism is very important, uh, is, is very important to, to uh, being able to have a good life and being able to do things that you think are, are right. and. Uh, it's um it's something that we're losing and there's a war on religion there's a war on many things that you know we see in our lives all the time and um it's not a it's it's a bad very bad situation uh, all those wars on just about everything that that many of us hold dear you know that we were taught um you know by the greatest generation and you were talking about the um you look through, and I, every once in a while, like when someone hasn't you know, read one of my books, I'll say, look through the table of contents, the selfie society, um, the problem with some millennials, government, government should be of men and women uh, and laws, uh, the laws that we have on the books. You know, we, that's the way we live our lives. Uh, immigration without assimilation, the disappearing nuclear family, education for all, you know, this is it's not a rocket science deal. 
these are evidence, evidence in, in everyday life, in everything that we're doing. It is very visible uh, out there on the streets. Um, and so when I did these 27 chapters in the first book and the 28 chapters in the second book, um, people that I, I talked to about these um, various chapters go, this is, this is spot on. It, you, you've nailed everything. And then I, I love it on uh, when, you, when you get into the media and they're making something sound, something that I, like I've put in one of my books, and they're making it sound like, oh, this is like a new revelation. Like, oh, my, you know, we, we've got to talk about this and, and think about this. No, it's been going on for 10, some cases, 20, some cases, 30 years, this, this shift. And maybe now they're noticing it. But to me, it's been very, very evident, you know, what's going on here. Uh, we are changing. Um, and one of the things I love to talk about in there, because I consider myself a patriot. I'm wearing red, white, and blue today, you know, and I've got an American flag behind me. Um, I believe in this country. I believe in that flag. And I believe in those who fought for it. And that's why I volunteer a lot right now for um, veterans. Um, I, I believe in that very, very strongly. I, I, I volunteer in a lot of different areas, but that's one of the most fulfilling areas because I was in college during the Vietnam War, and it was a tough time. I mean, there was, there was a lot of hatred then. And I think a lot of that hatred that we saw then has come back to roost right now through the way a lot of those people who were the haters, the way they taught their children. And I, I think there's a direct correlation there. You know, um, I, I often speak about the fact that one of the, one of the darkest hours in American history is when our veterans came home from fighting in Vietnam and they were spit upon, they were uh, harassed, they were, they were throwing feces on them. It was absolutely a dark, dark time in this country. But again, I think we're seeing a lot of that today in a different generation, and a couple different generations. And I look at that as being, you know, Part of it's patriotism. Again, I, I love this country. I love America. And that's why I've written these America series books. And um, I, I do have, I want to show you here, uh, I do have, you know, America going, going, and America still going. And here's America almost gone. <laughs> now, it's, it's in that form right now. But this will be my third book in my America series. Um, I'm working on a fourth book now too, and um, that's I can't tell you much about that because it's fiction, and uh, and I'd, I'd have to do something bad if I told you about that. Yeah, but it's it's very um, very secretive. Uh, but at the same time, I have a passion for this. I have a passion about writing about what I see is going on, and this is not about me. This is not about me at all. Um, I'm I'm just a um, I'm just someone that's, that's testifying to what I'm seeing and, and what I'm believing to be the right path uh, for Americans to go in trying to make sure that we're doing whatever we can for our children and our wonderful grandchildren, right, Mike? Um, you know, the grandchildren, I, I've got two amazing grandchildren, and they are a big focus of my life right now. Um, I love them dearly and, and would do anything for them. And, and so 
you know, I want that to happen for them when they're our age, when they're old timers. Um, and I have um, time on this earth. I Every morning I wake up and I say, Lord, thank you for another day. Uh, please help me to be a better Christian today than I was yesterday. I had some drawbacks yesterday and and I'm trying to be as good as I can. And please help me in that. As long as I'm here on this earth, I will be one of your servants and I will help to, to spread that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I firmly believe in that so much that, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for every day and I've lived a blessed life, a blessed life, traveled all over this world and um, got a great family, have a great faith, um, have great involvement with national regional, local, international organizations where I've had leadership roles and been able to meet, you know, tens of thousands of people over the years. And and I, I love them dearly. I love all my friends. Um, obviously, love my family, love my country, love my faith particularly. David, one of your uh, chapters deals with um, accepting responsibility. And you even use the well-known phrase, you know, the buck stops here. Um, there seems to be a real disconnect today with people that have responsibilities as leaders and a complete, complete abdication of the responsibility or taking responsibility for consequences as a result of actions. And a lot of people just get a pass. And, and I, I, I can't think, of, well, there are plenty of things that you add them up, probably are more detrimental. But all of a sudden, if you're a person in a leadership role and you don't have to take, take responsibility for bad decisions, and nobody's really holding you accountable. We got a problem, I think. Right? I, I do that in social media just about every day. And you are exactly right, Mike. You, you've hit that right on the nose, the nail right on the head. <clears throat> you know, we have to take responsibility when we make mistakes. Um, you know, we have to look the American people or look our spouse or look our friend or look at whomever has been offended in the face and say, you know, this shouldn't have happened. I'm sorry that it happened. And, and you know, I'm responsible and, and I'm not going to, I'm trying not to do it again. Um, and when do we hear that in the political um, arena? Either party, and both parties are guilty of this. This, this is not a Republican, Democrat deal. This is everyone pretty much in Washington, in the deep state. In the you know the federal government, some in state governments, some in state governments are doing a great job at, at taking responsibility. Others, um, not so much. But it is a it is a key, and that's one thing that again I was raised with was when you screwed up, you fess up to it, and you you take what's coming to you, and you know take it like a man, take it like a woman. You know, um, you know as I say now, buck up. You know. Uh, you got to have that feeling of responsibility and and you know, do what's right and and that's what's right. But you n- hardly ever hear that on the national stage, where yeah, we we went in the wrong direction here and and 
hopefully we've learned from that and, and we won't do it again or or we'll it'll be a training for, for others. But if you're not taking responsibility, other people are saying, why should I take responsibility for something I've done wrong? You know, if if our leaders aren't doing that. And I think yeah. you and I, you and I have taken a lot of self-help uh, courses over the years where that that's a key factor, you know. You've got to the, the buck stops with you. The buck stops with me. The buck stops with everyone, and um, that that is a, a key. And I, I'm glad you picked that chapter up because I think it's probably one of the most important ones. <clears throat> Here's one thing I can tell you for sure: when I was growing up, and there was something I was responsible for, and I was being called on the carpet by my mom or dad. And I was trying to avoid taking responsibility for my actions, especially if it was a bad decision. There were consequences for me. <laughs> it's just it's just the way it was. That you, the, the buck stops with you. You are accountable. You are responsible. And uh, nothing gets your attention like being campused to your home property for the entire summer. Because you had a history of being late and your dad called you on it. And so my point is, when when we make decisions, we're responsible for them. They're going to, there should be consequences. And uh, sometimes you're not now. I think part of that, Mike, too, is, is we were always taught to respect. Yes. And one of my chapters is respecting the property of others, respecting other people. And you have to have the respect. One of the things, the biggest lessons that I had in my whole life was my sixth grade teacher at Clara Barton Elementary School in Fargo. And his name was Mr. Morgan. <clears throat> and I remember one day deciding um, ill-advisedly to call him by his first name. Now, again, you know, that that was not, in those days, that was not respectful. You didn't, you know, we, we weren't chums. He was he was my teacher, and so you respected them by calling them Mr. or Ms. or Mrs., and, and we did that. But I called him by his first name. I remember getting slapped across the face, and that had an impact on me. That had an impact on me, and I never, ever have done that again. I, you know, I don't disrespect anybody. My books are, are filled with, with stories about... <clears throat> about respecting people's lifestyles. You know, there's there's this idea that that just because maybe your religion doesn't follow the path, a particular path, we're in Pride Month right now, and, and that's very important time. And <clears throat> I, I hear it said so many times in so many ways, and that is live your lifestyle the way you want to live. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to uh, put barriers. We're going to treat you uh, without discrimination, and um, and all we ask is that you don't try to force things on us. You know, we don't like that. You know, I don't think you'd like when we force things on you. And so, you know, that's the way we do things. Is that you know we want to be good people, and we want to be uh, willing to to understand other people's positions. And I think I understand, you know, because I have a lot of friends in the LBGTQIA plus um, arena who are there and who are living that. And I love them. And, and I love the, the gay couples that I know that are married. And they're wonderful, wonderful people. It's not 
a lifestyle that I have chosen and, you know, for various reasons, but I think just as I respect their decision, they should respect my decision and not to be, you know, one of the biggest supporters of that whole movement, but rather to be supporters of and loving of them and having that relationship personally. Uh, You know, that's how we create and that's how we keep friends is by showing them that we care. And, um, you know, it's, it's very important, I think. I love how you said that, being supportive of them. doesn't mean you have to be supportive of a movement. And it's about loving people. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned in your book, and I, I'm going to attribute this to, for a long time, in, in our culture, and not just here. It, it's happening everywhere. We're, we're fairly convenience-driven when the convenience of a decision benefits us. Mm-hmm. And you have a chapter of what ha- what happened to buying local and supporting those businesses. David, thank you for writing that chapter. I, I'm a stickler for mm-hmm. buying local because as a guy that used to be in the advertising business, I see what happens when we stop supporting local and the consequences, one could mm. say they're unintended, but they're somewhat intended as well. The consequences are really significant. When when we when we I'll just tee it up and then let you run with it. When we don't buy local and support those businesses, in time we'll lose them. And those are the businesses that when you want to go out and get your kids' hockey team sponsored, it's the local merchant that's going to do it. It's not going to be target or walmart or amazon and i'm not saying that they don't sometimes have a little slush fund but they don't support like the mom and pop own local retail businesses that are part of the community and that's just in some ways kind of gone and do you think it's primarily for convenience it is it is more convenient you know for me to to me to get into Amazon and, and order something. And, and that's what a lot of the young people do. Um, I have, uh, I have daughters and sons-in-law who, who do that a lot. And, you know, I don't fault them for that. That's their way to do things and they get them delivered right to their door. But here's how my father first put it in my mind. He said, son, you may be inclined to do certain things in life that you weren't trained to do, but you just want to do them you know, because it's convenient for you to do that. Um, and But he said, these are the people who do that for a living. That's, that's their livelihood. And they come out and hire you to do legal work for them. They come out and, and want you to do wills for them or to form a corporation or to be involved in a nonprofit that's something that you all believe in. You know, these are your friends and family members it can be devastating to them to turn our backs on those local businesses. You know, look at the transition that's going on right now in retail. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, I, I read about it everywhere, and and I'm concerned about that because I do believe in that. I do believe that you know I was put on this earth to do certain things, and I think that I've managed to do some of them pretty well. And that's what I've been hired for professionally. 
And that's why I've been asked to be involved in, in certain organizations is because I'm a good organizer, a good planner. And um, but yeah, I believe strongly in your mom and pop door front uh, enterprises. And I, I believe in that. And I believe in in other programs where you can buy maybe direct, but you're helping out a network of, of, of individuals at the same time. Uh, it's it's all about you know the reality of you know supporting all those people who are out there entrepreneurs and who are taking risk and that's what my dad always says that son you're, you're not going to do in life and you're not going to have the success that you want in life and I suppose you want without being a risk taker you've got to be an entrepreneur you got to go out there and put your dollars on the on the line and uh, and do your thing. And some of them are going to be successful and, and some are not. Um, and, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's famous quote about, you know, living in the great twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. You know, I took that to heart. Uh, and it's still to this day, one of my favorite quotes. Um, and, you know, um, that's, that's life, you know, life is not for sitting back and, and sitting behind a desk and, and just doing your own thing in my mind. Um, and then going home at night and, um, you know, who knows what's happening there, but maybe it's good. Maybe it's not so good, but it's, it's being involved in the community. Uh, community service is the dues that we pay to live in the towns and cities where we live. That's what my parents taught me. Community service. You've got to go out there and, and whatever your abilities are to, to contribute, you know, to donate, to be philanthropic. It's all based on, you know, your ability. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I, my, my wife and I have been audited twice by the IRS. One of the reasons is because I remember one auditor back, the first audit we had, and she looked across the table at us and she said, Mr. Bailey, no one gives that much money to charity. No, no, no one gives that much to charity. And when she got done doing the tabulation, she, she looked kind of confused and she said, my calculations say that you were able to, to deduct more than you claimed. And I said, yeah. I said, I've always looked at that as being kind of a freebie from the government. So I just take 90%. I just take the 100% of what my contributions were, and I just deduct 90% to have that cushion. And she said, this audit's over. Um, you know, and that's that's really all it took was to hopefully give her a lesson. that Some people do care about others. And some people do put their money where their mouths are and, and are able to help out other people who, for whatever reason, need, you know, charitable contributions uh, or whether it's, you know, church contributions. And so that's the way I was raised. And that's the way I want other people to be. And I'm, I'm nervous that um, for some charities that, you know, they aren't going to have the support that they need in the future. Uh, and part of it is through that exact same thing. It's still that local that local charity, they need your help. And um, and that's what we need to do is we need to help them and we need to go out and buy the products and we need to support their entities. During what you just shared, you happened to bring up the IRS. And I'm going to ask you this question based on uh, your very uh, significant background in this space. 
Some people want to hire 87,000 IRS agents. That's roughly 1,740 per state. Do we need 1,740 IRS agents per state? I mean, that was your background. You're, you're a professional attorney, a professional CPA. You worked with your businesses. You were a consultant for, and still are, for a number of businesses. That just seems like overkill to me, David. I, I, I use the word absurd. It's totally absurd. It's, it's craziness. We don't need more IRS agents. What we need is better technology, for one thing. In many cases, they're using computers with COBOL, uh, COBOL software. I was trained on that in 1968 through 1972. And, you know, they're using totally outdated equipment. That's what we need to invest in is the infrastructure so that federal employees, you know, many of them are doing a great job. I personally believe that we could get by with one third of the federal workforce that we've got right now. And obviously the unions wouldn't like me talking like that because these people have jobs, but many of them are paper shufflers. And that's true with the IRS. I had virtually a hundred percent and have had virtually a hundred percent rating with the IRS. I've settled everything with them. And I've settled with terms, you know, in favor of my clients because we have things that, that we know are right. And, and we come in there with a strong position and, and believe, I'm sure they have a dossier on me, probably a lengthy one at the IRS. And it says that this guy's a straight shooter. You know, this guy will lead you to a good resolution in a minimum amount of time. And so, and that's what I've, I've tried to do for my clients. But again, it's, it's not about me, but do we need those? No. Over the years, I've been more of a supporter of a, of a flat tax or a value added tax, <clears throat> you know, with some exceptions where, you know, I don't think that, um, that most Americans, middle-class people, and certainly not um, uh, people who are on marginal incomes need to be paying anything into the federal government. They shouldn't be. Um, but, and I do believe in, in fair share, you know, bigger corporations, bigger entities, maybe not having as many deductions as they have. Uh, because I think, again, those are kind of freebies in many cases. They can afford to, to pay more in taxes. But I also believe in, in paying as you play, that value-add, kind of that national sales tax. Not, not 27% like they're talking about. You know, I'm talking about like maybe 10% or 7%, you know, a, a national additional tax. And get rid of the criminalization that they have made of income taxes. You know, sure, businesses maybe would continue on, uh, or maybe they'd have the same uh, you know, the same rules. But we need a complete overhaul of our tax system, of the IRS, of everything that we're doing um, in that area, and we would be a lot happier. Because imagine that decriminalizing, you know, the um, the uh, income tax and and getting rid of it for everybody. I'm uh, sure it would be a lot easier, you know, to to pay as you play, to pay as you buy, with some exceptions. You know, there would be things that, you know, that are not taxable, you know, necessities. And so 
I don't want people who are in lower income ranges right now, middle class, uh, people who are dependent on um, on assistance. I don't want them paying a cent and you know more than they should because that's just not right. I think we have an obligation to help support them. And so, yeah, the answer is no, we don't need 87,000 new IRS agents. Um, You know, we need better technology so that, you know, they can take care of individual tax returns in less than three months after April 15th. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we need. Uh, And I'm sure they would agree that it would help with better technology. David, you had mentioned, and I loved it, a partial solution for some of the challenges we have. It was like a community mentorship program. <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. That is really a, a brilliant idea. If you were, if you were the king, or president, or at least the ruler for the day, how how would you roll that out? You know, I think I would form like a national, you know, a nationwide organization, and I prefer it to you know to be. You know, a, um, a non non governmental, but you know, form a national group um, to help uh, locate people and to get those people who are uh, interested in becoming mentors. Because there are a lot of us out there who are doing that. I'm I'm actively mentoring uh, many people right now, um, and I just do that because I believe in mentorship. It's been a huge part of my life in my being mentored in in my in my mentoring other people and i think that is one of the key things that we need and part of it is this whole idea that our education system has declined <clears throat> our lack of you know pardon me for saying so the nuclear family i mean there are there are too many people out there who are missing a parent and i look at that as being very, very important in life to have those um, interactions with parental figures. Um, I think it's it's a key to um, people keeping their lives in perspective throughout their lives. And they learn how to do that then for their children and for their friends and for their coworkers, um, you know, to be there for them and to help them in times when they need help or when they don't need help, just to help to train them. But I look at yeah, mentorship as being a real key today to reaching out to those people who who need that. And that's, again, part of that mental health situation, because I think when people don't have that mentorship, I think they feel somewhat um, misguided. And I think they feel like they're just floating around and no one cares about them. Well, people do care about them, and people I would care about them enough to help them to learn how to get through things in life. One thing I'm um, very heartened by is that they're getting back now in some schools at starting programs, in case of some schools, other uh, uh, schools getting back to financial education. Kids are not getting that financial education at home. You know they're they're unprepared for the world. Um, you know to you know these days. You know they don't use checks anymore. I still I still use checks occasionally. Um, they're using the the credit cards, their debit cards, and, and of course all their banks are saying, you know, banking may not be totally safe, but we want you to use our online banking system. And I'm kind of going, 
you know, where's the disconnect here? You know, I, uh, so I, I have kind of shied away from using my cell phone too much for banking. I'll use my computer in my office where it's a secure system and I've got, you know, secure software and, and I, it's, it's out there looking after me, you know, for any viruses. And so I'm, I'm pretty well protected. I like that protection. And, but yeah, financial education, we need to, we need to add that to every curriculum and get rid of, you know, a lot of the stuff out there that's just not doing anyone any good. And in fact, it's doing the opposite. It's dividing us. There's too much division in this country right now. And, um, and it's coming right from the top. And again, I'm not saying any party um, affiliation. Sure, you mentioned my books are, you know, we were raised a little bit more on the conservative side. I mentioned to some of my liberal friends, and I've got a lot of them. I say, you know, I, I'm a little nervous about maybe you reading my books because, you know, sometimes I, I maybe do come off a little too conservative. I consider myself a Main Street conservative, not a, I'm not a, you know, I, I'm just, you know, straight down the middle, but I'm conservative leaning. And, uh, and so the, some of my liberal friends have read and they say, well, I see what you're saying, but, and I understand your, the things that your topics and they're, they're spot on. And so I think everyone can learn from my books, whether they're liberals or conservatives, but I will warn some of the liberals out there that if you consider yourself liberal, you know, um, read it with an idea of learning you know, some things, you know, you're not going to learn a lot maybe from them, but you're going to learn how many conservatives are looking upon today's issues. Um, Not from a hatred standpoint, not from looking down our noses at anybody. At least most of us don't do that. Not from a bullying standpoint. We're looking at it from trying to make this a real America, trying to reach out to everyone that we can we don't want anyone to be left behind with the American dream. We want, you know, everyone to have that opportunity. And I think maybe people say that's pie in the sky. Well, if that's pie in the sky, so be it. Um, I'm still going to fight for that as long as I'm on this earth. That um, I want everyone to have a chance to succeed like the chances that I've had. Are they going to be different? Sure they are. But there's still chances to go out there and make it happen. And it all depends on them. It all depends on them doing things right and also getting some mentoring. And I think that's an important add-on. Mm. Look, I, uh, David, I think your book does a wonderful job of um, succinctly detailing the uh, issues of the day, major issues. And whether we like it or not, they they are the issues. and. They're impacting lives for everyone. And so I really appreciate how you went about sharing your thoughts based on experience. And in many cases, proposing some type of a solution. Plenty of people will point fingers and take a dig at somebody or something and then not propose some type of a solution. In your case, you did that. Appreciate that very much. Where's the best place for folks to find your books, David? America going, going, and America still going. 
You know, so, there, there are really two major outlets. And again, I like the idea of buying local, but some of the local bookstores have, have not really been very supportive of my effort, let's say. Um, and, you know, that that is what it is. But so um, Amazon is primarily the, the major source. Amazon, and you can get into Amazon and search under Bailey, B-A-I-L-L-Y, and America, and they'll come right up. They'll come right up. Bailey, L-L-Y, and America, and they'll come right up. And they're very reasonably priced, I might add. Um, you can get both of them for like less than less than twenty five dollars, um, and um, and you can also do it Barnes and Noble um, online, and so um, yeah, and and I hope to you know in the future maybe to to do some book signings that I kind of ran into COVID a little bit you know for my timing the first time as far as book signings, but um, when the um, when the grape stomp comes up here at at, at Carlos Creek Winery in Alexandria where where we're we're nearby and and family relationship there. And um, I, I'd i like to kind of do like a booth there at some point and, and uh, sign some books and, and talk to some people about, you know, philosophies. And I, I consider my, you know, I've got a political science um, degree from UND as well as the accounting and, and law. But um, so I, that's, that's really a, a very important place to me. But um, I, I, I do like talking about things and I, I like debating a little bit, a little reason to debate. And uh, that's what keeps me young. That's what keeps me thinking. And, and that's what helps to continue to mold my thoughts. You know, I'm, I'm not uh, setting concrete. You know, I, I've changed and, and adjusted my views over the years. And, and that's been based on the impact that other people have had on me. I've been very fortunate to be um, surrounded by wonderful people. Uh, you know, one of our neighbors was Mark, Senator Mark Andrews and the Andrews family. Grew up with them. And what a wonderful mentor he was as far as um, my political thoughts and ambitions. When I got out of law school, one of my primary goals was to become a U.S. senator, uh, a Republican U.S. senator out of North Dakota. And that never came about. And one of the main reasons was I saw what was happening in the political arena. I saw how people were being judged, how people were being slandered and how people were being torn down. I've been a builder. I don't, I don't tear things down except for maybe, you know, something around like a, a cardboard box to put it in recycling. That's, that's my tearing down. I'm a builder. And I saw this tearing down on the political side. And I was never going to put my family through that. Never, ever in a, in a dream, you know. So that just fell by the wayside. And, you know, good riddance. Um, it was just a uh, you know, whimsical thought that I had that, you know, that I could make a difference on a national stage. I've done that to other organizations. And so I, I've lived a, a wonderful life. You know, if I'm, if I'm gone tomorrow, I don't want to be more, if I'm gone tomorrow, you know, it's, it's been a wonderful run. And hopefully I've had a positive impact on some people's lives. And hopefully, hopefully with America going, going and America still going, I can continue to have some impact. And then America almost gone. That'll be my next one. And I'm expecting that to be out probably um, mid-fall. You know, I, I've got to have time, but uh, but I'm I'm kind of tied up with some other things here right now and uh, in the Alexandria area. And after having moved from Fargo after 72 years there. Um, so I'm, I've still got Fargo at heart. I've got University of North Dakota at heart. 
I've moved to Minnesota, liberal bastion of the world. And admittedly, admittedly there, so it's a little, I'm in, I'm in foreign territory here. And so I kind of watch what I say a little more carefully than I used to. But, but I, I, I you're not saying that from the Bailey um, bomb shelter, are you? I mean, you're, 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 you're no, in your office, right? No, right in my office. Yeah. And I, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in fear of my life or anything. No, I, I don't, I don't think there's anyone out, anyone dangerous out there looking for me. Hopefully not. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just a I'm just a regular guy who's had some great opportunities and and who has made the best of some opportunities that I've been given, and has taken some opportunities I never thought I'd be involved in and and gone out and and made it my own. And so again, I've been fortunate to have a great upbringing by the greatest generation, and I try to live those principles on a daily basis, and I will continue to do that as long as God keeps me on this earth. David, thank you so much for taking time to join me. Thank you for putting pen to paper and writing both of these books and the third that you're in the progress of uh, writing. We, we may just have to do another one of these during the grape stomp if the book is available at that time. What a perfect setting. But we'll have to get you back on to talk about the uh, uh, the third book. Appreciate you so much. Any any last parting words you'd like to share with folks? Well, we have to be careful about that grape stomp timing because um, my lovely blushing bride and myself, Jan, and I, we actually run the grape stomping tent at the grape stomp. So we're the ones who sign in all of those people who who want to fulfill that lifetime dream of stomping grapes in a competitive nature. So we we take care of that at each grape stomp. But um, I could have a little table there and and sell some books at the same time. And uh, but no, I I love you guys, love you and Deb, and and thank you for being such a great friend over the years and and your family. In in parting, I'm going to say I'm going to put out a, a a plug here. Um, you know, belated because your father Jim Seminary and my father Charles Bailey were iconic in their industries in the Fargo Moorhead area and in the region and extending beyond. They were the best of the best. And uh, Jim Seminary, I still think about your dad and mom, you know, periodically. And um, how fortunate we were to have these people in our lives. We were just blessed. But we can do that for everyone. Our whole system can be adjusted to do that for everyone so that everyone gets great ideas in their heads rather than stinking thinking. We don't, yeah. we don't need that. We need positive influences. And we can do that as a country. And that's what we need to do as America. We can. And you're right, David. We were blessed with incredible parents um, that really uh, cut a swath that formidable. They, they were remarkable. And they, they did it uh, very professionally with great respect for everyone around them. And we need more folks like that. And I got one right here in front of me today, David Bailey. David, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Uh, appreciate the time. Likewise. Give Jan a hug. God bless you. I will do that. God bless you.